Welcome to the JMD Podcast, the companion podcast to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. Every fortnight, we bring you author interviews about recent publications. And there are also frequent shortcasts, brief summaries of interesting work published in JMD reports. If you're interested in metabolic medicine, you should download the Wiley Online Library app, where you can read all our latest articles. Just add JMD and JMD reports to your favorite journals, and you can carry them with you wherever you go. But before you do that, have a listen to this latest podcast on the role of B vitamins in Tango 2 deficiency disorder. Hello there. Whilst some metabolic disorders have been recognized for over 100 years, others are much more novel. And today we're discussing a protein whose role in insect cells was only identified this century. It's a pleasure to return to Tango 2 after it featured in one of our early podcasts. And I'm delighted that one of our original guests, Dr. Michael Satcher of the Department of Biology at Concordia University in Quebec has agreed to return. Alongside Michael, I have two new faces, well, new to me, but old hands in the field of Tango 2 research. Dr. Christina Miyaki of the Department of Pediatrics, Baylor College of Medicine in Texas, and Dr. Samuel McKenzie of the Department of Neurology at the University of Rochester Medical Center in New York. And Dr. Miyaki and Dr. McKenzie both serve on the Clinical Advisory Board of the Tango 2 Research Foundation. Michael, welcome back. And Christina and Samuel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And good morning. Thanks. Great to be here. Actually, before we begin, Michael, your paper is dedicated to a colleague who passed away. Would you like to acknowledge them here? Sure. I uh, appreciate you for noticing that. Dr. Nassim Sharza is who we dedicated to. She was the very first graduate student that I had in my laboratory when I started. I met with her before I even came to the building that I'm in. She came to a totally empty lab, helped me set up the lab you know, at expense to her studies. And she did a lot of a lot of great work, published a, a number of papers from my laboratory over the course of her PhD, including the first paper that we published in the field of rare disease research on, on a protein called TRAP-C11. Uh, and she did a lot of other work on this TRAP complex that is one of the main focuses of of my laboratory. And you know, unfortunately, as she moved on and, and did her postdoc, she developed cancer and was using targeted therapy, which worked for a while, but eventually she uh, succumbed to the disease. And we thought it was appropriate to dedicate this paper to her. It's it's on a rare disease, not the one, not the disease she had, but it was a rare disease. It's some form of a treatment for for a disease. I think she she would have been very uh, enthusiastic about the work going on in the in the laboratory about that. So we just thought it was appropriate to to dedicate this to her. Thank you for that. Well, I hope we can dedicate this podcast to them too. So we're talking today about B vitamins and Tango two, but given the relative novelty of Tango two deficiency disorder, can we go back to the beginning a bit? And can I ask for the headlines? What should clinicians know about Tango two deficiency? Yeah, I think that the most important thing is that this is a new disease and it can be difficult to make that initial diagnosis and that pediatricians really want to be aware, number one, of the disease and of its manifestations. Children can present with early developmental delays and these can be hard to recognize from other diseases. I think most importantly is that as the children age and progress, they can have episodic symptoms that come and go. And by the time the pediatrician or the emergency room physician sees the patient for these complaints, those same symptoms have disappeared. And so understanding what the symptoms of Tango 2 are can help the pediatricians and the physicians or the neurologist or emergency physicians um, identify this disease early. And that's important because this disease is actually quite deadly and um, has a high risk of mortality. So Tango 2 is a disease that has symptoms at baseline. 
It has neurodevelopmental, cognitive or intellectual delays, as well as issues with ataxia, speech delays, and then there are cardiac problems or heart problems. These symptoms can happen at baseline. They can be then episodic, but then also there's something called a metabolic crisis. These are specific episodes that are triggered by either not eating or being ill. And this is when the symptoms manifest the worst and put the kids at risk of dying. And I think a major goal of certainly Christina's, mine, and and many other people in the Tango 2 community is to improve diagnosis rates before children present in crisis. We obviously don't want to be making this diagnosis when a child's in the ICU, when we send a rapid exome off. So we're trying to be a little bit more aware of these harbingers of the disease. And as Christina mentioned, those can be movement disorders like ataxia. And we're finding that dystonia is a fairly prominent movement disorder in this condition. So children will have this kind of bizarre episode where they'll have a a neck tilt to one side or a head tilt to one side. And, you know, it can be paroxysmal. So it it disappears and people sort of move on. So we're, we're trying to find those those signs of the disease and increase rates of testing in in terms of gene panels for some of these symptom-based presentations. For me, it's always alarming. You always think of patients immediately where you go, this could be it. But I think it is just about that awareness, isn't it? It's about getting people to think metabolic and and to pursue these diagnoses, as you say, early rather than late. And obviously the podcast is about humans with TDD. I think that's what we're calling it, isn't it? But Michael, for your work, you had to look at fruit flies with the disease I've talked a lot about animal models on the podcast, but Drosophila are a first. Are they a good model for Tango 2 deficiency disorder? Well, I'm surprised they're a first. And and yes, they are a very good model. But how we got into Drosophila in the first place was, so we were looking for an animal model that we could possibly use to study Tango 2 deficiencies at TDD. And just down the hall for me was a, a Drosophila expert who was expert at uh, working with Drosophila and modeling disease in the flies. And she works on polycystic kidney disease. So I spoke with her and we looked into Tango 2. It's well-conserved protein through evolution and flies have Tango 2 gene. And it was, for some reason, seemed to be highly expressed in kidney. So that caught her attention as someone who's studying kidney disease. But you know, she she trained us in how to work with the flies and, and we started looking into certain assays. And in the end, yeah, I was a bit skeptical at first what we can learn from a fly in terms of uh, this particular human disease. But it turns out that many of the features that are seen in humans, we can replicate in the fly. So movement disorders, intellectual disability. I, I didn't know we could do a learning assay in, in flies. We looked at larvae. We looked at uh, more adult flies. And we were seeing very similar features in, in the flies as to the humans. So, yeah, it turned out to be a very useful model system. And, and the fact that they're growing in this vial where you can very easily control supplements and, and their food made it just a very simple model system to use. Um, and so I think flies in, in terms of modeling human disease is a, is a, is a model system that's I think it's starting to gain a little bit more popularity. I'm reading more papers on this particular model system for rare human diseases as well. It's certainly a popular topic for some of the rapid drug testing. I've seen lots of talk around that. But your work obviously was intended to look at whether vitamin B5 might have a therapeutic role in the disease. And your publication, I think, prompted Christina and Samuel's letter on the subject, or maybe it was coming anyway. Why have people been looking at B vitamins in this particular disorder? Well... 
I guess I could start with, <laughs> with this. So, so Christina and I were coming actually from two totally different angles. I think I was unaware of what she was looking at in terms of the natural history study. And I think at, at the beginning, she was unaware that, that we were looking at vitamin B5, which I think strengthens the argument. Uh, we're coming at it from two different aspects and coming to similar conclusions. For us, we were coming at it a little bit more of a shot in the dark. It had been proposed in some of the earlier reports on the disease that it might have something to do with a lipid metabolism disorder. And so we started thinking about it and recognizing that lipids are oftentimes coupled to coenzyme A, CoA. And the precursor of coenzyme A is pantothenic acid or vitamin B5. And so we thought, well, it's simple enough to just add B5 to the fly food. And by the way, we've done this with human cells as well, not not just with flies. But we started with the flies and, and we added the vitamin B5 and figuring... We'll boost the levels of coenzyme A and let's see what that does. Not really having a more of a hypothesis than that. Just let's see what happens when we boost the coenzyme A levels for fatty acids to, to bind to or whatever the mechanism might be. And to our surprise, it actually worked very well. And very specifically, we've looked at an, a lot of other vitamins. In the paper, we talk about vitamin C, vitamin B3. We've we've looked at other B vitamins as well, B9, B12. But um, this was quite specific to, to vitamin B5. So that was the angle that uh, we were coming in from. Christina can talk more about the natural history study and how she arrived at, at B vitamins. So um, I'm a pediatric cardiologist, and I specialize in heart rhythm disorders, and so I came to know Tango 2 because back in 2014, when I saw my first family, we didn't know what the disease was, but we kept losing patients from heart rhythm disturbances in a very, very difficult, unusual arrhythmia that we had never seen before. As we came to discover the Tango 2 protein and this disease, the purpose of the natural history study really is just to get information. You want to know what happens over time and what is this disease? But as we started to look into it, I really paid attention to why do some children not have the heart rhythm problems and why do some people have an unfortunate course and die? And as I began to pay attention, I realized that some of the children that were doing better were simply taking vitamins. They were the children who were put on, for example, a Flintstones vitamin. Now that seemed really odd in the very beginning. I couldn't really grasp, but that could be possible. So back in 2019, I said, well, let's just keep looking at this data. And the natural history study basically showed statistically that those children or patients who are taking vitamins or B-complex did not have these metabolic crisis events. And then for those children who had multiple events and they survived, if they started taking a B-complex or multivitamin, they didn't have it again. So granted, the natural history study only has 73 patients, and we still need to continue to collect data, but it was a remarkable finding, I think, and Dr. Satcher and I have kind of come to the same realization that this seems to be helping. Remember, multivitamins are B-complex. It's many different vitamins in it, but the multivitamins often have the B-complex, and the B-complex contains B5. So these data together may be helping identify something that can help these patients survive. So you both came at this from different directions, but Michael, your results in both Drosophila and fibroblasts were pretty convincing, weren't they? Yeah, I think I think they were quite conclusive and, and, and specific. So like there was one assay we saw a very modest effect from vitamin uh, B3. 
but not to the level of vitamin B5. And vitamin B5 in pretty much every assay that we looked at was rescuing the the phenotype that we were that we were testing it. So this shows real promise from something that is cheap, readily available, and presumably safe. Christina, you said that it was only 73 patients, but those are big numbers in rare disease. Is it a case of more work is needed or can we start recommending changes? Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a case of more work needs to be done. So this is really promising, right? If we can prevent metabolic crises in children, that's huge. But we also know that it's not a cure-all. And some of these children will have sort of the smoldering decline, even on vitamin B5. So we can prevent some of the more severe features of the disease, but we certainly haven't cured it with B vitamins. And our position statement makes that very clear. This might be a good time, James, to just review the recommendations. So this really came about because in the wake of the natural history study data and uh, Michael's paper, we really wanted to make it clear to the Tango 2 community that children should be on B vitamins. And it's one thing to leave it to a social media platform like the Facebook group, but we really wanted to get something published in the literature. And so that just turned out to be a fairly easy lift. We pulled several clinicians who were familiar with the condition, either by being involved on the research side or in most cases having patients of their own with Tango 2. And basically we came to uh, the conclusion that all children should be on supplemental B vitamins, including B5. We included B9, by the way, because there's some data that that may be helpful in preventing the arrhythmias. And then certainly if, if children are in crisis, we want to get those B vitamins in as soon as possible. A lot of times children aren't taking anything by mouth if they're in the uh, intensive care unit. And we wanted to make that clear that we should be thinking about getting those in either through enteral feeds or if not possible, then, then through IV. So even if, if they've been admitted, they're already uh, decompensated, it's still not too late to, to start a B vitamin. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And and Christina can probably speak to that more because she's looked at these cardiac crises specifically. Yeah, I think that's actually very, very important. If you're already admitted, the goal is to prevent the arrhythmias because those are the life-threatening issues. So if you can survive the metabolic crisis and avoid the arrhythmias, then you can survive. And we feel that you should start the vitamins, even if you've never been on them, if you are admitted for a crisis, go ahead and start the vitamins, whether it's orally or through IV. Our hospital adds the vitamins directly to the IV bag in the emergency room. So it's, it's something we initiate rapidly, but not every center can do that. So you just want to make sure that your patient can get them and make sure that they keep taking them. So if they're not feeding well and they're not able to take the vitamin orally, then you need to find another solution. But yes, we think it's an important part of hopefully preventing the lethal arrhythmias. But obviously, there's still more work that needs to be done. Obviously, but we, we finally found a use for those IV vitamin bags. They try and sell you in shopping malls. I mean, I'm always interested in, in where metabolic meets mainstream. And I think that most pediatricians, perhaps even most medical students are aware of 22Q11 deletions, but most haven't heard of Tango 2 deficiency disorder, you know, give it time. Um, but the two can be related, can't they? Yeah. And this has been a major focus as well. So certainly if you have 22Q11 deletion, you're missing one of those alleles of Tango 2 since that's where the gene lives. And so we've been doing a lot of work looking at the 22Q population and kind of going back retrospectively, looking at symptoms, seeing if there's cases where it's a little bit atypical for just 22Q. Certainly if they had rhabdomyolysis, they've had some of these more unusual cardiac arrhythmias. 
if the developmental delay is, is really severe or if they've had developmental regression and trying to identify some of those children. The pathogenic allele frequency could be up to one in a hundred in some populations. So it's not a super rare thing in the 22Q population. We would expect it somewhere around one out of a hundred of those children, again, based on broader population genetic data, could have Tango 2. That could be quite big numbers then. Yeah. So we've we've done a little bit of work looking at a few cohorts. And yeah, there, there's definitely been some suspicious deaths in that population where, you know, we didn't do testing of that second allele. And we didn't put this in our position statement on the B vitamins, but I think it's it's a conversation. If if you're a clinician taking care of patients with 22Q11, again, from a risk benefit standpoint, if that number needed to treat is 100, uh, I think most people think that's a reasonable thing to consider. And as Christina said, it's a, a Flintstone vitamin. Other brands are available. So it's a, a simple intervention to make for any child. Um, Christina and Samuel, Samuel, you've already mentioned that this is one part of the approach to these patients. Obviously, this may offer benefit, but it's far from a cure. What comes next in Tango 2? That's a really great question. I think I think there's two big directions this could go. Once we have more models like the Drosophila model, uh, we're working on a nematode model. I think that opens the door to drug screening, right? So, so B5 might be hugely helpful, but there could be other compounds that are even more helpful or mitigate some of these other features of the disease. And then certainly one of my personal professional interests is in gene replacement therapy. So I work a lot with children with neuromuscular diseases, spinal muscular atrophy, and Duchenne muscular dystrophy specifically. And certainly this gene is small enough to fit within our commonly used adeno-associated viruses that deliver the gene. So I have a, a big interest in kind of developing a gene therapy, and that's going to be a huge lift, uh, take a lot of partnerships and collaborations. But one of the fun things I should say, too, about this group is the chance I have to work with people like Dr. Miyaki and Dr. Sasher and others. And it's it's just a really nice community. So we're all kind of motivated and, and pulling in the same direction. Yeah, I agree. I think that just having all of us, and I'm talking about myself, Dr. Satcher, Dr. McKenzie, and like I said, there's many others in the community working together to find a cure or treatment for this disease is probably the most important direction that we're going to go because Tango 2 deficiency really affects many different organs and systems. So there's many different groups and scientists and physicians working around the world to determine the exact role of Tango 2. My ultimate goal or hope is that we identify the treatments and ultimately find a cure, whether it's through gene therapy or whether it's through other you know, supplements or a drug treatment. I think that's where I hope that this goes. And I love that we are progressing more rapidly, I think, in my mind, because we have basic scientists, we've got clinicians, clinician scientists, the three of us work together. We all have different models. As you heard, Dr. McKinsey's got a nematode. Dr. Satcher's got the fly model. I've worked with Dr. Lily Zing. We have a cardiac cell model. So I think all of us working together will contribute to hopefully more rapidly finding treatment and cures in a rare and maybe not so rare disease, as Dr. McKinsey mentioned. Yeah, I think the situation is actually quite quite interesting in the sense that, you know, we know which gene is involved. We have some form of a treatment to mitigate at least a metabolic crisis, not a cure, of course. But there, there's that black box in between as to exactly what Tango 2 is doing. And so, like Christina and Sam are saying, that vitamin B5 
is good for now. There could be something better once we know exactly what what Tango 2 does. And so from a basic science perspective, that's kind of where my lab is heading right now, which is what exactly is this is this doing? We have some interesting preliminary data that I won't get into right now. And hopefully we'll publish it at some point in the future. But uh, yeah, once we know exactly what it does, then I think that that should open the door for uh, other possibilities as well, in addition or or instead of vitamin B5. I just want to acknowledge all of the families. I mean, I just listened to them. This data came because these families participated in the physicians that took part in the natural history study. This is really where a lot of this information is coming from. And hopefully we will continue to get more information as we get more participants. Excellent. Well, I always like to hear about new work that's coming. And I hope if you publish with us that you'll uh, come back again and speak to me about it. If you're interested in reading more about the work that we've discussed here, you can click the links in the podcast description, or you can go to the journal web pages and search for Tango 2 Deficiency Disorder and Prosophila, or B Vitamins, and you'll find the papers there. Christina, Samuel, and Michael, thank you so much for finding the time to speak with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.